0: Hello and welcome to this Drum Network podcast. I'm Nikki McMorrow, the head of the Drum Network, and I'm joined by four excellent agency leaders today, some of them actual influencers themselves, because we're going to be talking about B2B influencers. Um, this is an area that's changed quite a lot in the last few years. B2B seems to have gone from boring to like the most sexy part of marketing. So um We're here today to talk about what is driving this shift and this change and where is it all going next. I'm going to ask my guests to introduce themselves. Sophia. Hello, I'm Sophia Moliati. I'm the head of
1: talent partnerships over at VaynerMedia EMEA.
2: Hi, I'm Casper, co-founder of Influencer.com, and I was one of those, I guess, influencers uh, on the call, but I like to call myself a creator to separate myself from the business title,
3: influencer. Thanks, Casper. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Stevie Johnson, Managing Director of uh, Influence Marketing Agency Disrupt, uh, where we make brands famous. Uh, I've got a unique perspective, born out of my own unique creative journey. I was a television star for seven series of Made in Chelsea, winning a batter on the way, and once upon a time, influencer in my own right. Uh, but I've now strategised for some of the world's coolest brands, and I like to think I don't just get influencer, but it's in my DNA.
4: And James. Hi, I'm James Baldwin. I am the B2B Influence Lead here at Ogilvy. We have a practice that we launched um, just over a year ago uh, and has been going strength to strength with some of Ogilvy's um, biggest B2B influence clients. Uh, And we've also just launched uh, the industry's first uh, global survey in the B2B influence space. Mm. So um, hopefully some uh, good insights to add.
0: Excellent, thank you for the introductions. Um, so I'm really curious, like what's going on with b two b marketing, especially influencer marketing at the moment? Why is it suddenly so interesting, fun and um, and exciting compared to perhaps how b two b was several years ago? James
4: um, I think this is one of the the big questions, and i I think the the thing the biggest thing that's changed uh, in recent years is essentially how the b2b industry has changed their consumption of information and what goes into the due diligence process in the b2b space right now is one of the one of the stats from the survey um was 90% of uh, industry marketers are uh, see b2b influencers as an important part of staying up to date with industry news and 57% of those cited them as their main source of information and that's because essentially we are now becoming digital natives and the way that we consume information doesn't change from our consumer lives to our, to our business ones. And um, yeah, that's, uh, that's essentially one of the big changes. in the B-
0: That is super interesting. And I might have been reading the same stat before this podcast, because is it also true? Is it the same survey that says, despite 94% of marketers thinking that it's a great thing to do and a very successful strategy, only 24% of them are doing it? Uh, that's not our study, <laughs> right?
4: <laughs> but, uh, I do have some similar stats that probably uh, probably challenge that a bit. Um, with with the study that we conducted, it was we conducted five. It was it was five hundred and fifty different senior marketers across five different regions markets. Um, and markets, and seventy five percent of them said that they were doing B two B influencer marketing in some form. And of those seventy five percent, ninety three percent are planning to increase their usage of B2B influencers, which the bottom line suggests that something is going right.
0: Yeah, something's going on. Uh, Stevie, what's your take?
3: Yeah, um, I think as well, Nikki, something that's really jumped out in the last 12 to 18 months is all around personal branding. I mean, it's completely blown up. Before, you know, people would create content if if you were an influencer, if you wanted to be an influencer. But nowadays, everyone's becoming a creator themselves of some sort. Um, And in particular, when it's regard to your own industry and your business, we're really seeing uh, a a real drive there. And I think, you know, if you look a little bit closer to home, uh, it's maybe more of a current economic situation. But cost of living and and those dire economic circumstances that all kind of started 12 months ago have really pushed people as well into creating their own side hustle or driving even harder in the work they currently do uh, within their business. Uh, And as a result, you know, we're seeing uh, more of that boom around it. Influence used to be a dirty word. It isn't anymore. Uh, it's very much got a seat at the digital table. It's grown up and B2B is starting to follow, follow suit now as well.
0: That's brilliant. Well, I think we should go to Casper then because he's the one that was trying to, sh- to shirk the title of influencer. So why, why has that become a dirty word? And, um, uh, uh, or, or had it done in the past? And, and is it evening out now?
2: Uh, yeah, I, look, I think, I think there's two, there's two different, uh, you know, definitions of, of an influencer. One could be, you know, someone who spends their life on a beach, um, taking sexy photos, which I would love to be able to do, but I can't. <laughs> uh, the second one is, you know, is an expert within their field who, who you know, has an, has an audience um and and i i think in the past the media has tried to go with the first one because it, it supplies more clicks on articles uh but you know when i talk about creator or an influencer interchangeably i'm, I'm talking about that that second version of the word um and, and in terms of why why i think b2b kind of influencer marketing is really having its time right now is is just the way in which companies discover new tools and services ha- has changed i mean i just use the business i'm in for example when we when we're looking at uh bringing in uh, you know an, an api or or working with a new service we're checking out their social media we're, we're checking out the people behind um behind, you know but, but, but behind the name of the brand and and we're seeing uh what kind of content they're posting and and that's just how how discovery is happening i think a big part of this has also been highlighted within the ai revolution and uh, some of the the fastest growing ai businesses have all found their feet uh, th- through things like being on lists on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube, and they're like, what are the 10 tools you need right now? And these have happened through those um, founders having their own presence on, on on social media. And so you really have to be a part of the conversation, and the conversation is happening online.
0: That's a brilliant segue for Sophia, who works at Vayner Media, And of course, Gary Vaynerchuk is a founder with a presence.
1: Uh, what's your take like literally you Google, you Google B2B influencer and it just is his face. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a trust thing as well. Um, B2B is doing really well now because of the way that people just view and like trust any information that's coming online. It's not just for brands. It's, 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 you know, even just the news, like nobody believes anything anymore. So the way, like, so now like the way that we're looking to absorb our information is, is completely shifting. Like it's no longer, okay. Like, A a lot of people think that an influencer would say literally anything for a paycheck. So now that B2B is really tapping into like niche audiences and like those industry experts, as Caspar was stating, people are starting to listen, like those tastemakers and those creators, and they're actually starting to listen now. So it's starting to just perform really well.
0: Yeah, I'm starting to think as well that, you know, I suppose what you're all sort of saying as well is maybe everyone now has the capacity to be a business. Um, It started with influencers, but actually with the sort of accessibility, even of building a website these days, you know, it's so much easier to, to have your personal brand, to be that business online. So I guess we're all just more interested in that side of things as well.
2: Yeah, I think the rise of the the creator economy has definitely brought consumer businesses and B2B businesses closer together. Uh, You know, an example of what I'd call almost a consumer B2B business is a newsletter platform called Beehive. Um, And and they're basically a newsletter platform that uh, a lot of creators use, a lot of businesses use, and a lot of uh, people who are aspiring to become their own B2B business or their own businesses are, are using, and they're currently consumers. And So the way in which beehive markets it isn't different uh, t- to that of, of a consumer business. They are always out there on the internet creating content, trying to get everyone to sign up and a lot of these consumerish b2B um, users end up they could build an enterprise one day and and so it's it's a really fascinating world we're living in where those two worlds are merging together uh, and to try and completely separate them, I obviously you have to do if you're a certain sort of business if you're just selling to enterprise. Um, but, but there's, it's a, there's a really exciting kind of, uh, uh, thing going on in the world right now that, uh, I just love being a part of.
1: I also feel that anybody can be quote unquote, an influencer. I feel like that's really shifted. Like if you're like down at the local pub and you've like owned like a nail salon for 40 years, like you like you are an expert, like you are in, you are an influencer to like the women in that bar who are like, perhaps, I don't know, like this, it's a silly example, but do you know what I mean? It's like, it's not almost, it's no longer like just about like the following. It's like, you are, if you like are a plumber for 40 years, like you're, you're an influencer. Like you, nobody knows that industry better than you, you know? So whether you, so I think that's just evolving to social, but it's like, yeah, I think the way that we're just viewing like that word It's it's no longer influencer. I think it's like, influence. But I also agree with Casper in the terms that like we even as an agency at Vayner, like we've shifted away from that word completely. Like literally almost completely, to the point that even my title is like talent partnerships. Because I don't know, it's like such a there's such a fine line and it's like it's all like bleeding together now.
0: Yeah. I mean I've, my obviously I'm hosting this, but my background in luxury marketing is that's a very that resonates so much because um for like a decade we've been saying um people of influence we can't call them influencers it's not influ your audience is not influencers it's people of influence um and uh it's interesting to hear that it's happening in other industries as well i mean there's what are the industries this is all happening in i can add to this on
4: a couple of different levels actually you're right stevie we, we run a bunch of different campaigns for lots of different industries um I'll name, I'll name a couple tech is a really low-hanging fruit because every business needs tech. Um, and we're, we've got some amazing clients in this space, so Samsung, uh, Verizon, Vodafone, for example, all, all big brands that are really leveraging that space. But doing this research piece, every industry is is utilizing this in some form or, for, form or other. It doesn't have to be um, your typical content creator. Like people are using these really hyper-targeted uh, influencers as one-off introductions or or coming to have them talk at their uh, to their employees. There's lots of different ways that you can use them in lots of different industries. Um, one of the exciting parts of the survey that we just ran was speaking, uh, having a uh, a mini-series, uh, mini-podcast series for lots of different CMOs in the space. Some of the biggest um, organizations we spoke to, Dell, um, Schroeders, EY, spoke to the CMO of uh, EY, Rebecca Hurst, and she, she said... It's the ways they're using influencers are the exciting thing. Um, and she was saying that she uses them to just get them through the door live at events because they don't come to speak to EY, they come to, uh, they come to speak to industry thought leaders and that's how they start relationships.
0: Oh, amazing. That's a really good use case.
3: Yeah. Stevie. Um, yeah, I was just, just going to say and, and to uh, add to what James mentioned there, I think ultimately we're entering into the age of reputation Uh, if you like. There's no real hiding place for businesses anymore, especially with the growth of social media and and the conversations and communities that are out there. So ultimately, businesses need to understand whether their products offers good customer service, and now is the time to find out. So reputation, reputation, trust, all of these things are, are vital, and that can be built through the use of influencers. I mean, we're all experts within the space here, and any research that you look at over the you know the last 10 years even before b2b was a thing it all confirmed that influencer credibility uh, measured by influencers expertise trustworthiness and attractiveness has a positive impact and effect on purchase intention and b2b businesses now are are seeing the use case of that and are trying to catch up uh with the b2c space i, I think just
4: to, to build on that the, the the interesting difference to to classify on this on this question is are you talking about industries that are using influencers? Or, you are to, or are you talking about different types of influencers? Because you mentioned doctors. They will be influential in the medical space, um, but they're not going to help you sell a CRM system. So it's about, it's like, it, it's finding the right type of influencers that work for your, uh, for your business. And the right type of authority that comes with that.
2: Yeah, I, I think an interesting thing to add is um, the way in which, we're kind of talking about how creators, um, how they're great to have or influencers are great to have for a B2B influence, sorry, for a B2B influencer campaign. But the question is how how are, you, how are you engaging them? Is it that that be, that be, that creator happens to be your employee or they're working with you um, as, 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 um, uh, as a consultant? Is it uh, that they're just a fan of your, your product and they're just promoting it? Is it that um, they're an investor in your company or are you just doing an influencer marketing campaign? and i think with b2b influence thing it's 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 a little bit more difficult to just do the one off influencer marketing campaign and say um, you know get the word out about this product because ultimately um you want to have that longer you you want this with with consumer uh, influencer marketing having that longer term um, ambassadorship kind of thing going on but i think with b2b it's even more important um, because you, you, the trust levels have to be extremely high when a, a business is purchasing something. Um, and there's, the, you know, there's a higher standard, a higher hurdle. And then there's also, especially when we're talking about medical or financial B2B, um, in those industries, it's super important that they're experts and they fully understand the business they're promoting. Uh, so I, I find that to be an interesting subject matter too.
1: Yeah. I think tradies are smashing it at the moment. Um, not a personal case study, personal case study. We've been working a lot with NatWest. Um, They have a lot of features for like, like new business owners, like the business builder, um, et cetera. And we've had like, we have the NatWest business show, which is literally like like honing in on business owners, like new business owners in the UK. Um, We've had like people with like mobile bread carts and, you know, Little Chai stands at Victoria, Victoria Market that are like actual users of these services that showcase like why they work. So, yes, we could do a glossy ad for NatWest and be like, yeah, well, if you want to start a business, use this. Or you can show how these small business owners across the UK are not only you like using it, but like how it's better their business, especially in times like um, like COVID, where everybody's business was like completely kind of like in the fritz and like people had no idea what was going on when you have an actual person that says this worked for me in the most uncertain time that there was i mean people are going to listen to that
2: yeah i think and that's what i mean by you know the trust and the fact that there's already that relationship there somehow and they'd be using it versus coming up with like a really creative idea to get the word out for which sure. should happen a lot with consumer influence marketing and it still works it doesn't have you know i think a lot of uh, when I first started speaking about the influencer marketing industry, people used to say, it's all about authenticity. It has to be about, you know, a real influencer who loves the product and brand and has always worked with them and, you know, believes in it. And I kind of go, well, actually, if there's a really interesting creative campaign, you can still make it work. Uh, and if there's a really interesting opportunity. But I think with B2B influencer marketing, it's it's core to it that they've actually used it. They've been using it for a long time. They're a fan. And there's that relationship there.
1: I see a big mistake being made where a lot of, um, even in my pat, like, you know, I've been doing this for a really long time. Clients have come and they were like, I love this person. I like, they're, they're great. And I'm like, yeah, they're great. Um, but so we're just going to lie and say that they use the product. And they're like, yeah, I'm like, that's an awful idea. Like, especially now, (laughs) like like it, it just is because I just feel like, and I don't know which one of you mentioned earlier, you just, I don't think you can get away with anything anymore. You know we live in a world where you it's a lifetime to you know uh, read this, like it's a lifetime to build a reputation and then one tweet to ruin it.
4: I've I just want, want to build on that because some, there's something you said earlier, like it's so it's so much about truth rooted in B2B influences specifically. And this goes back to the rise of B2B influence because in like we touched on it earlier, in the B2C space, there has been this idea that some influencers would do anything to get paid. Um, but that doesn't happen in B2B because anything they say has to be rooted in enough credibility and authority that it has to be true because their own everything is linked to their own profile their own professional profile not only their own professional profile and their own professional career but their businesses so they're kind of on the hook for their whole business reputation so they have to be so credible and that's that's contributed to the rise of b2b influencers um, but one thing I, th- I would add on to that, and again, I saw that NetWest content, it was so good, like it's so real. Uh, and that's what makes it so engaging. But one thing we've noticed of running these campaigns for, for the last year and a half is what really works, and what NetWest campaign did really well, is it leverages this idea that there is a real community around business, like, especially entrepreneurs, they support each other. lots of entrepreneurs have a huge entrepreneur network and the thing that's really prevalent in that space is any content that you create has to be rooted in genuine advice, genuine support and that's what NatWest did really well.
3: I I think that's where um, a future trend within the B2B space is is, is going to be identified and it was touched on earlier James Casper, I can't remember which of you mentioned it but it's all around or it's going to shift to that employee advocacy. So for these B2B corporations, identifying employees that can be creators themselves. Because um, to date, I think that's been a, a massive missed opportunity. And over time, we're gonna see more and more of, of that come to the surface. Um, you know, we've spoken about authenticity earlier, and Casper, you mentioned it. You could say, you know, it is almost a bit of a dying breed, and you know, brand control is still a massive uh, issue, and that employee advocacy can kind of bypass a lot
1: of that into becoming a huge trend in this space. As well as customer advocacy. I mean, since we're, since we're complimenting each other, we've, uh, we've used, um, in like, you know, just due to bandwidth and you know how the, um, how media agencies work. Like one day, all of a sudden you've onboarded six new clients and you're like, Oh, okay. You don't even have the time to hire for that at that, at that exact moment. Of course you do, but like, and we do to like bandwidth for some like last minute, or it's something as simple as a last minute ask, like a client's like, can you turn this around in 10 days? And you're like, well, you're not going to, you can't say no. Um, we've used influencer.com when we when we didn't have that bandwidth. And as, and like, as a director, like, you're not gonna, like I can say to another director at a media agency, I know that this works. I know that the turnaround was X. I know that the results were Y. And I know that the, the, the client feedback was Z like, I have like, do you know what I mean? Versus like me hearing it from an influencer. Like I'm, I'm the one that runs these Somebody's that like somebody would listen to me versus like somebody else. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm like the perfect sounding board. Like, yeah, definitely. Like they're great.
4: Um, I just wanted to build on that employee advocacy, um, element that Stevie just mentioned. And that was one of the biggest in outtakes of the research that we just, we just, uh, conducted. Um, it was it was almost unanimous that CMOs see the biggest strength of any business isn't the tech or it isn't strong balance sheets. It's it's the people that really make businesses, and leading into that is such a such a resource. There's um we partnered with LinkedIn on this study, and there's a really great stat from LinkedIn B B two B Institute that says the collective size of your employee network is on average ten times larger than the company itself, so you've got a huge organic network to reach there if you don't if you don't start tapping into that if CMOs don't don't start utilizing that resource like Steve said it's a huge huge missed opportunity and you no longer need you no longer need a single spokesperson to stand up and, uh, and preach about your business, all of your employees are communicating in the network every day on social media. And uh, it's, yeah, a huge opportunity and a huge shop window for you as a business.
0: Yeah, that is very interesting. I wanted to ask about payment, actually, because um, we touched on it a moment ago. um, And, you know, obviously it was easy with traditional, I suppose, influencers. You can give them cash and they do some influencing for you and that's it. But if something has to be highly authentic and someone has to be a user of your product. That makes them a customer, which makes it ridiculous to pay them, doesn't it? So like, how does it work? Does it turn out to be more of a partnership with other things involved? Casper? Um,
2: yeah, I think, it, I think it does work to pay them um, and can still be authentic. I, I think that someone can be a user of your product and you can reach out to them and say, hey, can you do X, Y, and Z on the specific creative? And then they, they expect them to charge for that because one, obviously – it takes them time to create that piece of content. And two, um, uh, it's, it's, it's important for you to be able to tell them exactly what you want them to do as a business or as the agency uh, working on the campaign. And if there's no payment, it's really difficult for you to be specific with what you want them to focus on. And so when it comes to kind of deals whereby, you know, gifting, hashtag gifted, that's a great. I, I love that industry. It's fine. I mean, it, it, especially as a creator myself, I've benefited from it. But it, it's not necessarily going to get out the specific messages you you, you want to get out. Um, so yeah, I do believe the payment's great. But I would say when you are doing these sorts of deals, I, I would suggest that you don't just do it as. Only like do this post and, and then get paid. I would add things like, can you speak on this panel with us too? Can you come in and do a lunch and learn with our business? Like really bring that creator in into more than one um, aspect of either marketing or, or, or uh, as I said, uh, you know, bring them into the office um, and, and try and get them to to become a, a kind of a more of an ambassador than a once-off uh, creator. Um, and then of course you're going to have to disclose that it's that that it's an ad. And that's really important. But I, I think we live in a world now where uh, people are so used to that. And it doesn't mean that it's not an authentic relationship. It just means there has been, uh, you know, money paid for a service.
3: Whilst, whilst the execution might be different in B2B, the, the principles of influencer marketing in, in B2B and B2C are the same. So, you know, Nikki, you mentioned that. Uh, does it need to be more authentic? And so all of the best B2C influencer marketing campaigns have got that authentic feel, um, and credibility alongside it, regardless of whether uh, an influencer is paid um, or not, or just gifted. So I think B2B will just follow that same that same suit with regards to those payments, as Casper mentioned, is still going to be an important way uh, in order to see the best success. Uh, but alongside some of those other sprinkles, you know, bring them into the office, making it more of that partnership, I think is really important.
0: Definitely. Add sprinkles.
1: I think, it's, I think the authenticity part as well starts from like the beginning, like when you're obviously vetting and like finding these people, you you want them to like one of course like we talked about before with like Lombard and At West like to actually use the brand but like I'm a very big believer that people's time is worth money like you're asking it doesn't matter like if they're like a true spokesperson if somebody is you know taking time to shoot or edit or even speak and and you know use their their time and their own quote unquote influence which they do have um, it's, it's they're still like putting in a day's work like I'm 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 a big believer that everyone should needs to be paid for for what they do.
4: I love the fact that the biggest influence in the room is saying, Yeah, it's okay for us to get paid. <laughs> um, I think it was something that Kasper said mentioned actually it was it was how you're getting more out of that partnership is super important. And one of the one of the takeouts I took from the study that we've just conducted is different regions, different markets, countries are utilizing influencers in different ways. And it's not just about that content that you create. In fact, there's something like forty-eight percent of CMOs suggested. That um influencers can add more value in the after sales process or steps that just isn't tapped into. People, because I, I was speaking to Jim Habig, who's the VP of marketing at LinkedIn, and he said, I don't I don't quote me exactly, but he said, um, I don't know about you, but it's after I've bought that thing is when I need to know more about it, particularly in the B2B space when you're spending big money on big, probably big pieces of uh, of purchase or investments for your business. That's when these buyers need to justify to their bosses why they've spent this money. And it, it, people aren't using influencers for that. Like it's almost educational. It's almost, it's, it's relationship building. And um, it's a fascinating part of uh, how we can bring in influencers and it will to add value.
0: So how would that work? Like, um, you know, you've bought this product and the how to use it, instruction, using an influencer for that? Or like, can you help the reader understand what what it is, what it could be?
4: I I generally think so, and I think a lot of the time you'll find out ways to use a product or use a partnership that wasn't in the instruction manual. They just just wait like users find a way to use something better, and um, more importantly, it's applying that to your specific story, your industry, and that's what the entrepreneurial network, like the NWS thing, for example, does really well. It leans on real stories and real uses of these products. And it helps reassure uh,
0: them. I suppose like the B2B version of the IKEA hacks, (laughs) Uh, you know, how to repurpose and use this product for something it wasn't meant for at all. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I think a real example of this is there's a business called Eleven Labs, uh, which is an AI voice company. And uh, I recently was lucky enough to invest in them and to to see their explosion uh, through people educating each other on how to use it has been fascinating. And obviously you're seeing it on YouTube. But I think one thing uh, to touch on is why now, why is B2B influencer marketing working so well now is is also TikTok. Um, Because TikTok is a place whereby people have grown up now, a lot of them using it, or they've gone from YouTube to TikTok, and now they discover things. And so you're at work, and uh, you're making decisions on what your company could buy, and you're also using TikTok. And the reason TikTok is great isn't just because um, it's another social media platform, it's great because Anyone with decent content on TikTok can go viral. And that allows B2B people to go viral more often or B2B content to go viral more often than it would, say, on YouTube. Um, and, and so you're no longer reliant on having a massive audience to be an influencer with TikTok. You're reliant on being an expert or making a really good piece of content that provides value. And so with 11 Labs, it's, you know, maybe it's because I'm a, an investor and a fan. I'm constantly getting people showing me new ways to use the product and that's just a huge example of why they have now millions and millions of users around the world, and they've become the go-to voice AI company versus, say, another one. Casper,
3: yes, just to play devil's advocate there, do you think that the more traditional B2C influencers um, have got an advantage when it comes to that creative content? Um, you know, I, we look at the B2C space right now, and, you know, more and more, influencers are coming on board as creative directors and giving more creative freedom because of that. and the best influencers have got that capability rather than just posting for the sake of posting whereas and i'm not saying this is what we're seeing it disrupt but it'd be good to get your thoughts as to whether those b2b creators have that creative capability in order to create something that can go viral that easily on tiktok compared to a more traditional influencer yeah.
2: Well, no, I think it's a huge, um, you know, it's a really important point. And that's why I think like a B2B influencer creator who's doing well and knows how to create good content is going to be highly in demand and uh, a lot more pricey to actually work with because there are a lot less of them. I, we'll go back to Gary Vaynerchuk. I think he's, you know, as good at creating content as any consumer, uh, you know, influencer. and But he's mostly doing that in B2B now or has done for the, you know, that's his thing. So I, I do think you are right. There's definitely um, less out there who, who can do it. Uh, but but as as more opportunities come up and as people see there's there's more potentially um, opportunity to create a living as a B2B creator, I think you're going to see more people launching uh, maybe other channels where that's what they focus on. So, for example, I don't know if you know Colin and Samir. They're like a YouTuber duo. Who talk about how to build uh, in the creator economy? You know they're in such demand that they're launching channels left, right, and center for different deals. And and I I look at that I'm like wow like should I should I be doing that Should I uh, you know I hung up the old boots but maybe it's time to jump back in the game. And so I think in the world we live in the right now the supply is down as you as as you rightly said more I think a lot of those consumer creators might move into the the B2B space or the B2B people might have to learn how to be as good as they are. Uh, but i do think going back to tiktok it kind of gives you the tools you need and it's actually not as you don't have to be as creative and you know do something crazy on tiktok you just have to be talking about something interesting in a very specific way yeah and i also
3: think something that we haven't haven't really touched on yet in this conversation is the the gen z um uh demographic is growing up as well. And they're becoming more part of the workforce. And these are the ones, as we've already said, who live on TikTok. They know how to create that type of content compared to maybe some of the older millennials and so on. And as they get older as well and are more in the workforce, I think there's going to be more of that boom around some of the B2B uh, elements that we discussed.
1: I think a lot of the B2B content isn't even like, it's not even as glossy as the B2C is. And I think that's actually why it's doing really well. Like you have the lawn guy and like the pool guy that are literally go viral every day. And all he's doing is mowing lawns. It's like, you know, you have things like, you know, hashtag Insta reality where people are really kind of just looking for more like kind of like BT like BTS and like, just like day in the life type stuff is, is performing a lot better than like the kind of glossy stuff that's like edited and like made in studio. So I think there's like, um, there's an interesting crossover. Like you can obviously B2B will have to have some level of creative like ability at the same time. It's like, if you're like being authentic and and truthful and creative in your own way, I think that people will gravitate towards that.
2: Yeah. I think so. You're right. Especially like if you're providing value, even if it's slightly slower value, because you're talking about something very specific to someone, they're going to listen and it can still get a lot of views, even if it's not super mainstream. And again, going back, these algorithms, especially TikTok, have gotten so good at working out what someone likes. Um that if you are providing that value, uh you you should be able to start seeing success.
1: Definitely.
4: I think I think one important part of this conversation is um although the, the content creation space is growing, it is just the tip of the iceberg for B2B influencers. Like there's there are, are great there are great content creators out there, and B and LinkedIn is obviously the undisputed platform of the B2B space. Um but B2B businesses, they have a really targeted niche audience. They need to reach decision makers, purchasers of, of certain products, often very specific products. Um, and the content that cur- they curate is going to reach a small portion of that just by the very nature of content. It's the one of the exciting things about this study that I that I took from speaking to these CMOs was the bigger value that they see when working with B2B influencers is weaving those influencers into the fabric of their business operations, past content. Casper mentioned it before. It's bring them to a talk at their office, bring them to a client meeting. Imagine bringing an influencer, a thought leader, an expert in the space to a a pitch or a final stage pitch. And if that's the one difference, if that's the one kick the client needs to take them over the line, which could be millions of pounds worth of sales in the B2B space, why wouldn't you? If you're going to spend ten grand on a on a content post at the start of the funnel at that awareness stage, why wouldn't you spend it at the end of the funnel just to get it over the line where you can see guaranteed ROI? So client meetings, R and D workshops, yep. speaking to their employees—all of those ways are, ways are ways that you can bring influencers into the fabric of your of your business to add real value. I think those R and D those R and D workshops
2: are um, really important, and again, it, uh, that's why it's it's hard to talk trying to differentiate too much between B two B and B two C because these are all things you can do in both. Um, uh, obviously, not closing deals that you can't do that would probably take too long. <laughs>
0: um,
2: but in terms of like those workshop, workshops and stuff, you know, we we have clients who 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 are a request that we bring our ambassadors into that to come up with product decisions uh, alongside their experts. So. I think creators, again, going back to what are these creators, they're usually experts with a big audience, so if you can also utilize that expertise side of things,
0: then you're going to get a lot more value out of the relationship brilliant so we've we've been talking for quite a long time, and we've talked about a lot of stuff, but obviously we're running out of time slightly so um in the next little bit, let's just focus on what's gonna happen next um and then we'll do a final wrap up of um your sort of your key takeouts from this conversation or the key watchouts for the CMO. Um, So yeah, where is it all going next? Sophia? Yeah, I mean, I think
1: we touched on all of it, like the the authenticity, authenticity, truthfulness, um, kind of the underpriced attention, I think is a really big one. Um, obviously data is going to be a big thing, like understanding, you know, we spoke on TikTok, we spoke on, we spoke on LinkedIn, we spoke a lot on Twitter, et cetera. Um, you know, understanding where exactly you need to be, to be seen is going to be a big one. A lot of, um. A lot of brands are kind of blanket strategy, strategy-ing. I know that's not a word, but it's going to be my word for right now. They're kind of throwing this blanket strategy over the way that they're, they're marketing. And you know, I think that the analytics and data side is going to be a big one to kind of figure out where you need to be in order to be seen by who you need to be seen by.
3: And I'll, I'll just add to what Sophia said there. I think um, nowadays within the creator economy, the results that we can gain on campaigns are far more tangible than they used to be. Um, You know, when B2C was first introduced and we were first doing this back in 2013 or or whatever it was, And I think that's going to be massive for the B2B space uh, in terms of, you know, not just the upper funnel activity, but driving those sales, driving those leads, but also looking at what that brand uplift can really uh, really, uh, be nowadays and that audience sentiment, which again, is things that are far more current now than they were a few years ago.
4: i'll I'll build on that as well because that would be one of mine so it's 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 typical in the influencer space in general um but certainly in the b2b space brands typically use influencers in quite a one-dimensional way they'll use them for content or they use them for uh, an introduction or relationship building but part of the study that we just conducted showed that Influencers can be working all the way through the funnel, from awareness to mid-relationship mid, to mid relationship building, even after the sales. Um, I th- there was a stat that said CMOs are split on the most effective part of that funnel. 50% said mid-funnel relationship building, and 50% said um, end-of-funnel ROI and sales. But CMOs acknowledge that they're only doing a really small proportion of that. They're only doing typically one thing. The second, and we've been banging on the banging on this drum for so long now, the second they introduce long-term relationships, like ambassador style relationships, where they can follow that influencer through the funnel, particularly in B2B, because it's so long tail decision making. I think that I think there's a stat from LinkedIn that says your your active audience is only in market for five percent of the time, or only five percent of your or, or market is is in the buying cycle. So you need to develop these long-term relationships. B two B businesses will develop more long term relationships. Yeah, I
2: think like how you how you tracking ROI is going to be the most important thing. Um, and you know you can't you can't go uh, you know click this link and buy this now. It's a longer sales cycle than that. So uh, you know studying things like brand uplift, influencer.com work with our partners this that uh, who 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 are a third party who are able to show us exactly how. Um, an audience segment has reacted to a piece of content, stuff like that's super important. But then also, I guess, you know, things like, how did you find out about us? And answering those sorts of questions to make sure that the CMOs of of these B2B businesses are actually seeing where their money is, you know, they're seeing their money as an investment rather than a spend.
1: Superb. I think that's huge. It's all about
0: the why, isn't it? You have to prove the why. Indeed. Wow. So, We have um, hashed it out. Uh, I think we've got to the bottom of why B2B influencers are having their heyday. uh, And um, it's all happening in B2B. Um, We need to elongate the relationships, make them more 3D, make them more authentic, um, make them more long-lasting, bring them to our sales meetings and prove the why. But also, as it's uh, having a bit of a resurgence, perhaps, um, there's some underpriced attention uh going on within b2b influencer marketing so um maybe it's a really good place to invest right now Um, thank you so much to our guests um for this podcast and i've been nikki mcmorrow the head of the drum network and we'll see you next time